You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio. I'm your host, Jason Selms, and this is episode 40. And on episode 40, the big four zero, we've got a new segment that we're going to be trialing out, which hopefully you're going to enjoy. Uh, for a long while there, I got a lot of emails from people saying uh, they love the quote unquote guests, but they also wanted to hear from just hunters and shooters in the community. And I thought once I started getting one, two, three, four, then I think it was about 20 emails over the last year and a half I've received about just interviewing your average hunter. And the average hunter is not a bad term. It's people like, even people like me that just love to go out there and hunt and find out a lot of detail about, you know, what hunting means to them, you know, what obstacles the average hunter comes up, uh, you know, in the 20th century being a hunter, how they got into hunting, what do they enjoy about it, you know, are they political? all that stuff we're going to be talking about on the show. So this is going to be pretty much a regular segment we're going to have on the show where we're going to showcase uh, a hunter, shooter or fisherman and you know talk to them and get all the information. Hopefully, you, know, you, you, you listeners that listen to the show and you guys that I love listen to my show, um, hopefully you get a lot out of it. It can relate to some of these people. So I think it's going to be pretty, pretty positive. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we know we've got the election coming up this weekend uh, in September, I think September 7th, 2013. Don't forget to vote for number one, Shooters and Fishers Party, above the line on the white big Senate piece of paper. I mean, there's so many political parties, but jump on there. When you get to the polling booth, Shooters and Fishers Party, that's who you need to be voting for. Some people want to put their preferences below the line. But the Shooters and Fishers Party have done preferences to get the best possible chance of getting a Senate seat uh, in the respective states. So please don't vote below the line. I know some people will, and it's kind of silly because you're going to screw with their preferences and it kind of doesn't make sense. Let them do the preferences and vote one above the line. If you do it wrong and you label one of those 110 candidates wrong, your vote's not going to count. And basically it'll be ripped up and your vote's not going to count. So make smart move, vote 1 SFP, Shooters and Fishers Party above the line. Uh, we had the rally a couple of weeks ago on the 14th of August and uh, I spoke to a lot of people. If you've been out there on the internet, you might have seen a couple of videos I was in interviewing people like uh, John Mumford, uh, Robert Brown, uh, MLC of the Upper House Shooters and Fishers Party, Robert Borzak as well. And uh, I think... That was a pretty good turnout. Some people say it's not going to make a difference, and there's been a bit, of, a little bit of negativity amongst some of the hunting fraternity. Um, but you know, I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to get out there and show my support for the Game Council of New South Wales and the hard work they've been doing uh, in the last eight years. Because not one single person has been injured, or sorry, I should say, killed from a firearm on public land in almost eight years of hunting. It's a phenomenal record, and the Game Council has done a fantastic job. And hopefully in the next couple of months, we are going to see it moved over to the DPI. How it's going to work, we still don't know. I'm in conversations at the moment to interview John Mumford, the current, well, current slash not sure what's happening uh, chairman of the current Game Council until it's abolished. So hopefully I'm going to chat with John Mumford and hopefully I can bring you that podcast very, very soon. If you want to email me, jump on the AustralianHuntingPodcast.com.au website and click on the contact icon. I would love to hear from you. If you want to email me, 
for any reason, AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com. Please send any, you know, I'd love to hear from you. You've got any ideas on guests? I would love to hear from you. Uh, or if you've got any criticisms, please also send those too. I thoroughly enjoy reading those. Uh, Facebook, Australian Hunting Podcast, almost, two, I think just on 2,500 people uh, on the Facebook page now. So thanks everyone that's part, you know, is a part of that. Um, you can download the podcast on iTunes and rate us five stars. Also, leave a comment, please. If you listen to this podcast now, jump on iTunes and go and leave me a comment. I'd really, really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone that's done uh, that. Twitter, AH Podcast. If you want to join us and get amongst it on Twitter, I'd love to see you on there posting and keeping these politicians honest like Katrina Hodgkinson, Barry O'Farrell. Uh, Robin Parker and all the pollies that are on Twitter using it. We need to hit them hard and make sure. I hope everyone has done their letter writing and is also corresponding and got a meetings with their local members about the suspension of public land hunting in New South Wales. Uh, you can visit my website, aussieferralcontrol.com.au. That's my business website. And don't forget, just share Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family or your local club or whatever it may be. I just thought, thought I'd give a little bit of a quick shout-out, and I'm not sure if they'll hear it, but uh, just I'm a new member of the uh, Nepean Hunters Club and uh, met up with Peter Johnson. Uh, he also came to the rally, and I said I'd go up there and join the club, and let me just say they've got a fantastic setup up there. Um, I went there, probably was it two Tuesdays ago, for one of their uh, monthly meetings, and there was quite a lot of people there. I was quite surprised, actually. And they had a big do on, and there was you know, game so deer sausages, there was boar sausages. Oh, it's fantastic. And this one guy in particular had these sausages that were to die for. I can't even remember his name. I didn't get his name, but, jeez, they were fantastic. I tell you, I've, got to, I've got to go there more often and learn how to uh, make those sausages. So, um, so yeah, thanks to the guys in the Nepean Hunters Club that made me welcome. Thank you very, very much. Um, also, too, one of our sponsors, can't forget them, Australian Hunters International. You can check them out at ozhuntersinternational.org.au. Fantastic place also if you want to go and find out more about shooting, you want to get a license, you want to learn how to hunt from the professionals, people that will take the time to show you how to do it right and they will help you every aspect along the way. Australian Hunters International, a great club to be a part of, so go and check them out. Again, if you go to the Australian Hunting Podcast.com.au website, on the right-hand side there, you can check. Uh, there is a PayPal link for donations. This is how I make this show happen. And uh, p- uh, basically, donations are how I get uh, help to upgrade equipment, bring these shows to you. Uh, also, my web space pays for all that. So I've got a good group of people that donate to the show, but I'd always love more. And uh, if you uh, value what I do here, that would be absolutely fantastic. And I appreciate all the people that have been able to donate to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate all the audience that join me every month uh, for this show and hopefully I can bring you more and more and more very soon. One last thing you can check out my uh, YouTube account Aussie Feral Control uh, the same name as my business so you can jump on YouTube and check out my videos as well that'd be that'd be fantastic so I guess without further ado we should get into our first uh, segment, uh, for your first new segment, I should say, for a while, The Everyday Hunter. So I guess without further ado, let's rock this show, The Everyday Hunter with Alex Proft. G'day, this is Alex Proft. I'm here to talk about why I love hunting and shooting and fishing, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Alex Prof, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Mate, thanks for coming on to have a chat with us about, uh, you know, why you love to hunt, shoot and fish. 
Good on you, Jason. Thanks for having me, mate. No worries, absolutely. I think we we probably met. I think I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was Facebook. I think I used to see you, uh, you know, posting quite regularly. I think it was on the uh, Game Council page and saw a lot of the uh, photos you were putting up. But mate, tell us. I guess. I mean, how did you get into hunting and shooting, and um, and also not only that, but why do you hunt and shoot? Oh, look. You know, I guess it started um, around about high school when you know, like a lot of young fellas, I had a, an interest in, you know, just firearms and, you know, military things in general, and I took up a bit of target shooting in my in my free time. And um, just after school was finished, you know, a few uh, blokes from uh, the boarding school I went to, you know, invited me out to a few rural properties and, um, you know, had a go at, a, you know, just a bit of simple pest shooting, you know, rabbits and foxes. And, and to be honest, at first, you know, I, I was actually a bit confronted by it, you know. I mean, not, not just animals dying, but, you know, when they started to, dress out the rabbits and stuff. I thought, Jesus, I'd never seen meat in that light before. But, you know, from that initial reaction, it really got me thinking about, you know, just what a hypocrite I was to, you know, be prepared to pay and, and go out and eat meat at restaurants or take it from the supermarket, but not be prepared to see what actually goes on and occurs to, to make it happen. And anyway, that's, that's how the interest got started. And, um, yeah, and, and then, and, you know, once it got started, it's just been this real do-it-yourself, a very satisfying um you know approach to a new new passion and a hobby yeah exactly so what is it i mean what is it uh sorry first of all i'll go back to the previous question did, you, did your parents ever hunt and shoot was anyone ever hunting and shooting in your family or anything like that absolutely not it's a it's a really anti-gun household actually um <laughs> quite, quite ironic and and you know it, it took it took a bit of time to win them over but it's funny that the, the thing that won them over the most was um fresh venison on the table and when they started to taste the results of it and see, you know, exactly what the uh, the whole pursuit is all about, not just uh, animal murder. Um, it really, you know, they, they really started to be more open-minded to it. And, you know, it, the biggest battle of all was just to let them, ha- let you know, make them, let me have a gun safe at home. And when that finally happened, um, I'll tell you what, you know. <laughs> you basically know you'd won after that, eh? Absolutely right. Absolutely <laughs> so, right. I mean, what, do, they, do they like getting the meat now? Are they sort of do they don't mind it because my mum is always hassling me for you know deer meat. And I'm like, oh bloody, go away. You know what I mean? Because I can't send it to Queensland. You know, so oh, I'm, I'm still I'm still working on my dad, but um, no, mum loves it and she's even learning how to cook with it a bit. So that's uh, that's really great. You know, when when I start finding venison missing from the freezer in the fridge because someone's actually wanted it and taken it, that's that's when I know of um, I really uh hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Good stuff, man, mate. Tell us, I guess, what is it in particular? What sort of words could you come up with about, you know, what hunting and shooting, you know, and what keeps you coming back and what do you enjoy so much about it? Well, you know, I think these days, beyond anything else, it's just any excuse to get into the bush, you know, and it's become such an integral part of my lifestyle and it's not just the satisfaction of, you know, going out there and getting the food myself, you know, which is, it's the same satisfaction you'd get from growing a veggie garden or, or going fishing. But um, it's also just really empowering to be able to have the skill to go out to the wild and feed yourself. And, you know, many people in the modern world these days don't have such a skill. And you know, I, f- I find that really personally empowering. But, you know, since I got interested in, you know, the basic level of hunting, that, that's, that's really grown over the last few years. And I'm I take a lot of interest in, in the game and the wildlife that I'm, that I'm pursuing and, and also the native wildlife just around me, you know, and whether, whether I'm killing or not, it's just great to be there and just great to see, see what's happening in, in some of the blocks that I like to hunt. You know, uh, my interest has also evolved to you know, being a bit more selective in my shooting. You know, I make no apologies about it. I, I really want to shoot better quality deer and I'm, I'm looking to, to take nice quality trophies and, 
and that takes a bit more, you know, proper management of a herd as opposed to just see a feral and pull the trigger. And so, look, just beyond anything else, every time I go out there, being close in, in close proximity to these animals is just so exhilarating. And I, I just can't get enough of it. It's absolutely addictive. I know. No. I think I saw, if anyone doesn't know, uh, Alex has got a YouTube channel. What is it again, Alex? It's Aussie Bush Harvest, isn't it? Yes, and thank you for the plug. <laughs> yeah, and he, uh, you know, one of these ones here, remember, what was that one? I remember you saw in one of your videos, and you, uh, I think it was a, a pretty good head, and it was one of the ones you were pretty excited in the video. And if anyone hasn't checked it out, you can check it out because you can see sort of just in the reaction of Alex and stuff and, and one of his friends about you know, what it sort of means to you know, you know not only get a good trophy but something that you can also bring home for the table as well. Well, exactly right. And, uh, you know, I'd never really taken an interest in, in trophy hunting but when I did set myself that challenge to start, you know, taking a good quality male animal like that, um, I had to work a lot harder to, to achieve that and so the satisfaction was tenfold to, you know, the usual stalk through the bush until you finally find something and and take it because you fear that you'll never get another chance. That was, you know, it was, it was when you set yourself a challenge like that and, and achieve it, you know, the satisfaction is just through the roof. It's That's wonderful. Exactly, mate. Mate, when when you get out in the bush, what would you put your finger on? Would you say, you know, that you enjoy just being out in the bush? Even sometimes you said summer, it's hot; winter, it's cold. What is it you just enjoy being out in the bush? Oh, look, I just feel a lot more at home out there. I'm certainly a lot more at home in the bush than I would in the city. It's, um, I just feel like I'm more in my element. I'm, I feel extremely independent out there, you know. And um, beyond anything, you know, nature is extremely beautiful. And, I mean, there's nothing man-made in this world that could possibly compare to what nature just produces itself. Um, you know, I, whether it's, it's not just hunting, but it's everything from fishing to hiking to camping, four-wheel driving, anything that gets me out there interacting with it. Because... You know, I don't want to be just some spectator to nature. You know, as a lot yeah. of the uh, members of the National Parks Association would probably have everyone. You know, <laughs> we're not we're not they're sticking to boardwalks so that we can take photos. I, I'm I'm a living creature in this world, and I want to be a part of it. And so, so anything that gets me actually, you know, and whether it's properly regulated, you know, that's important. But properly interacting with the nature, taking fish out of rivers, grabbing mushrooms, you know, feeding myself, actually having that proper connection. And you know, I, I often get um annoyed when I see you know, documentaries on TV, you know, survival shows, even Bear Grylls and stuff like that. I think he <laughs> drives a lot of people up the wall. But they treat nature as an adversary. And, you know, I, I reckon it's just best to feel like you're actually part of it. Because with a ba- bit of basic knowledge, common sense, and, and a respectful attitude, you can be right at home there. And um, you don't have to see yourself as being something separate from it. You're really part of it. You're really integrated in, in the environment. Yeah, exactly, mate. Do you think... Oh, sorry, I threw this question. This is not one I gave you before, but... Do you think, I mean, some people say hunting, sport, culture, they're saying, they're throwing all these things around, but what do you think hunting? Do you think it's a sport? Do you think it's a culture? Do you think it's just a, mean, a means of, you know, getting food to, to live on? Or how, how would you explain it? I think, it, well, I mean, obviously it's very different for a lot of people and that often depends on what, how much time they can give to it, you know, what, what their personal values are. But I think, you know, what combines all of those things you just mentioned is just is a lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously, there's great traditional elements of it. You know, I mean, I, I speak to a lot of people, you know, from you know uh, Eastern European communities who've, you know, they've, they've had this skill passed on from generations to generations, not just in Eastern Europe, but you know, when their fathers came to Australia for the first time, you know, you know, a country that was so much bigger, you know, that was it was the ultimate ultimate opportunity for them to get out there and explore and take their take their sons shooting and things like that. And 
So obviously there's that traditional aspect of it, but um, I, I, I really don't imagine life without it anymore. That's the thing, you know. It's, that's why it's such an integrated part of a lifestyle is that every month I really have to go and I really have to bring something back now because I'm eating so much bloody venison. It's Well, I hope it's healthy. I think it's healthy. Low fat, you know, <laughs> low cholesterol. It, it, someone will tell you that venison gives you cancer one day, but oh, well, so does everything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, but that, 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 that's what I think it is. It's absolutely it's an integrated an integral part of people's lifestyles, and um, you know, and that and that might go from one trip a year to, to hunt the rut, or you know, for some people it might just mean you know once every few years you get a chance to fly over to Kiwi and shoot a big trophy deer. If that's what makes you happy, well then just go for it, you know. It, but as long as you you know that you know at heart that it's not just a one-off little you know experience or a little hobby, it is an integral part of your lifestyle and it's it's a mindset as well, I think. That's good stuff, man. I mean, this is a question we often, and we've all come up against like an auntie, but let's say you had either, you know, an auntie, and you, as you said in your family as well about, you know, sort of being an anti-gun at least. If you had, a, a, let's say, a Greens voter next to you or an average member of the public, and you had to explain to them, uh, obviously me, you, you explained to the preach, you know, to the converted, but, you know, if you had to explain to them why it's so important to hunt and shoot and why you enjoy the outdoors... Uh, how would you at least make them try to understand why it's so important to you and where you're coming from? Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah. How do you smash your head repeatedly against the brick wall? <laughs> the question. Um, well, look, you know, I mean, one one thing I've found that I bring bring to the table often is, you know, they need to understand that regulated hunting is actually the most ethical and sustainable way to acquire meat. You know, it's fully organic. It is truly free range. Not, you know what they put on the egg cartons about, you know, oh, each chicken gets, you know, a square meter to itself or barely that. It's truly free range and it's and it's a quick humane dispatch. And, you know, that really can't be challenged by anyone in the world who eats meat or utilizes animal products, which is the majority of us. And I've look I've I've actually got time for vegans and vegetarians because at least they made that decision and they're willing to stick by that principle. But um the majority of people actually don't and they really can't bring up any moral or ethical opposition to hunting when they're faced with those kind of facts. Um, obviously, again, like you mentioned, preaching to the converted, but hunting in Australia <laughs> has vital environmental benefits. And when and a lot of these problems with feral pests have to be seen and experienced by people, you know, in rural areas, you know, for them to truly understand the um, the awful effect that they have. But, um, I mean, just to elaborate, though, I mean, that wasn't the reason I got into hunting, because I was interested in pest control. You know, I hunt because I love hunting, and that's it. And I'm not ashamed of that. And I don't have to apologise for that. It just so happens that the byproduct of our our passion or our our pastime it has huge pest control benefits. So, um, look, you know, converting the closed-minded is a waste of energy, because you know the safety record of our licensed hunters is proven. Yet they say it's dangerous. They call us you know, rednecks and psychos without having ever met one of us or sought to understand what actually occurs. You know, they talk perpetuate this bigotry and these stereotypes against a minority of people, yet they act as though they hold the moral high ground. It's it's quite laughable, but what they don't realise as well is that, you know, well, just how much hunters actually care for the environment. Because after all, our lifestyles completely revolve around the bush. It has a direct value to us. They don't realise that we might actually agree on many issues. I mean, I can think of one like a coal seam gas or fracking for example i know plenty of hunters who are concerned about that and you better believe a lot of people in the green movement are too um but they'd never consider themselves possibly being on the same page it's you know it's the average person though 
doesn't know much about the bush or hunting or doesn't have a strong opinion on it that I'm really interested in talking to because Australia is, I, I think there's just an observation that it's, it's one of the only Western countries out there that doesn't seem to have a publicly accepted or entrenched hunting culture. Like anywhere in Europe, North America, of course, in places like Japan, people accept the existence of hunting and that it has a purpose, even if they dislike the practice. And I really think that rather than battling with antis all the time, we need to be working hard on our broader public image, um, which is one reason I started that YouTube channel. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. And I think I read somewhere the other day there's been, like they're talking about when they, they reintroduce or supposedly reintroduce the suspended public land hunting, there's been 80, over 80,000 hunts booked on public land and not one issue in that almost eight years of hunting. I mean, how good is that record? Well, exactly, and, and, that, and that, that's the, the thing is that is on record. And I'm yet to see any evidence that the anti-brigade has actually brought forward. I mean, they keep banding around this um, example from New Zealand, and that's a tragedy, and it can't be seen as anything less than that. But we're not talking about a hunter. We're not talking about someone in a regulated hunting scenario. Uh, the guy was intoxicated and was using an illegal spotlight, walking through camp, you know, campgrounds. Now, it doesn't matter, regardless of whether we're allowed in or out, People like that are doing it anyway. And you better believe that in the forests of Oberon, Tumbarumba, you know, New England, I mean, these poachers are having a field day because they're criminals and they don't obey the law. But I don't know what seems common sense to us doesn't seem to... And especially probably as you said too, with um, probably now that public lands hunting is suspended, there's probably going to be a lot more illegal hunting and poaching going on. Well, exactly. I mean, and, and, you know, with the, the Game Council in transition mode, I mean... They can't be out there patrolling. You know, they, they, I mean, the local police forces have their hands, you know, full up anyway without having to deal with, um, you know, a few idiots in the most remote parts of their um, jurisdictions, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's a lose-lose situation, unfortunately. But, um, you know, but, but having hunters in the forest was one of the best advantages to law enforcement because I know I certainly was very willing to dob them in, and I did once, you know? Yeah. I saw a spotlight in my camp site once, and... I needed to take the number plate, and I sent that on. And that person would never have been caught. Well, I don't know if he was caught or anything like that, but there would be no, you know, there were no eyes watching unless we had people like hunters who are willing to go into the most remote parts of the bush and of these forests to um, to assist law enforcement. That's right, man. Good stuff. Excellent. Mate, what, give me, tell me what you think. What positives and benefits to hunting and shooting uh, do you think you personally have contributed by hunting, say, let's go and say hunting on public land, but also private land? What do you think you've contributed to uh, the environment? Oh, well, I mean, again, the pests one is, is an obvious one, of course. Um, I mean, I like to think um, there's a big financial benefit to the community. I mean, like I mentioned, towns like Oron, Tumbarumba, Nundal. I mean, we know that there was a very consistent flow of hunters and traffic, economic traffic going through these communities, you know? Yeah. And by using the land out there, enjoying it and placing a value on it, you know, wild places only survive when people actually value their existence. They gain something from it. And it's not, and when gates are locked and closed and users are shut out, that, that, that value is almost extinguished. And so, you know, I'm not saying that everything has to, you know, have a dollar sign next to it or anything like that, but if it was so, it, because it's so valued and important to us, we're willing to fight for these forest survival, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and just being there as a conscientious user is um, probably one of the best benefits you can do to these places, apart from the very obvious you know, benefit that we, we gave by 
shooting pest animals, which, uh, you know, a lot of these forestry lands would just not be controlled otherwise at all. Yeah, exactly. That's the funny thing. They don't realise the economic impact of some of these, uh, you know, areas of New South Wales or in, or in other states as well where, you know, hunting may or may not be allowed. But that's the funny thing. I always said it, and a lot of people laugh when I sort of said it, but I think it's 100% true. I said, you know, there's been over 1.2 million feral pests removed from public land in New South Wales, and I think that's a pretty good record with no injuries. I mean, that's an, a phenomenal record. And then I look at people like, well, not people, sorry, but uh, uh, organisations like the National Parks Association. Now, I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? They say, oh, oh but, but we, we don't remove feral animals. So exactly what do they do? You know what I mean? 1.2 million for game council licence holders. Zero for the National Parks Association. Zero for the RSPCA. Zero for the uh, local bushwalking up at you know up at the Katoomba, the Katoomba bushwalkers. You know that that are against hunting. So this is the part that always gets me. We're doing a great thing. All you know, myself, you, and all the other R licensed hunters, and all the people out there spruiking about how shooting is bad. Even the RSPCA and wires. And I I uh, put a, a post on Twitter and I said, hey, well, how many have you guys removed? And they're like, oh, we don't, we don't remove feral pests. That's not what we do. And I sort of had to chuckle and said, well, this really doesn't make sense. Hmm. But you better believe they'll, uh, they'll put down your pet without uh, any hesitation <laughs> or uh, your livestock <laughs> if they think that you've got a problem with your, your fencing and your gates. But that's a, that's a can of worms in itself. Yeah. Um, what they also got to realise is, um, you know, 1.2 million animals, I mean, that, that, that's no small change. Now, I know like, a, there's a good proportion of that, which is rabbits, you know, which are killed in the larger. But the majority of hunters go out there not because they want a day of rabbit shooting, but they know that there's large amounts of pigs and goats and and deer in these forests, which um, you know, they'd be very happy to take home. And that does actually form the majority part of the harvest returns. It was it was those large medium gain animals which do I think more um more damage in terms of soil erosion or um reduction of biodiversity. Um. But if they got that same amount of animals culled off by a professional, that, I mean, forestry, for example, they wouldn't have a business model. They'd, they'd go broke. They couldn't afford that. Exactly. So we're willing to go forward and, and, and put the money to, to achieve these goals. Yeah, they've already stated, too, that if uh, our licensed hunters from the uh, State Forestry Corporation, if hunters don't go back in there, they're not going to have any money above and beyond the typical uh, baiting programs, and they're, they're extremely more than happy and can't wait for our licensed hunters going because they simply can't afford to do any feral control. Well, exactly right, exactly right. Mm. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, the thing is, Robin Park is not going to just be getting pressure from us, but she will start begin getting pressure from, uh, you know, forestry corporation as well as landowners on the periphery of forestry corporation land, which have this consistent flow of ferals flowing onto their, you know, their livelihood. The land is their economic you know, base, um, doesn't matter how many they shoot off their land unless, you know, these animals get disturbed from their actual home range, which just seems to consistently produce. But, yeah. Yeah, exactly, mate. Good stuff. I mean, let's get the next, this will be a good next question too. I know we were talking about this the other day and you actually brought it up. But how important is meat consumption from your harvested hunts personally? Uh, you know, we're being, as some people, uh, you know, are on, you know, they, they've, they've got out there, they've got, say, a one firearm and, you know, they're just trying to, um, you know the financial budget, and how does the how does the current suspension on public land hunting affect you know your meat consumption? When now you've also got to go out there and you know go to your, the local shops or your organics, and obviously organic. I saw a uh, fellow we uh, um, uh, marked the other day, and he had on on Facebook it was I think it was sixty nine ninety nine for for deer meat, 
Now, you're obviously getting that for free. Obviously, you're spending money in those regional areas. But, I mean, how, how does that now affect your meat consumption and obviously your, your personal budget, say, either week to week or month to month? Well, I mean, to be honest about my current situation, I am lucky to have some private access. And that is, that, that's helped me get through this drought. But um, I don't like to rub that in because a lot of people don't. And, and I certainly did it, especially when I was starting out. I mean, it's only this year that I've... Um, I've had access to, to some private property. Yep. And, um, you know, before that, I mean, I was, I was a student up until recently and, you know, broke as anything, but that didn't stop me hunting at least, you know, at least once every two or three weeks, you know? And it would just be, all it cost me was my license. I had I mean, huge tracts of land, which I was just so keen to explore. I had a whole winter of uh, hunting planned out um, in state forests. And, um, of course, that's uh, gone to shit for me, well, as it has, it has for everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Um, but look, you know, but I, I think at the at the beginning, I wouldn't have had any chance to learn how to hunt properly. I wouldn't have had any um, opportunity to fully embrace this passion unless I had those forests. Um, they were they were they were everything. They were the proving ground. You know, um, the forests can be quite challenging to hunt compared to a uh, you know open paddocks and private private property um, because of you know, the densities of it and also because of the hunting pressure. And you know, it takes a little bit more skill to stalk in on some of these animals. But um, that was an that was a wonderful opportunity, and it was an equal opportunity for anyone who had that license. You know, it was all it was all fair play. You know, when you had the time, you could uh, pit your luck against um, the forest and, and put your skills to work. And um, it was only really in, in the last two years that I started to have a more consistent flow, where every trip you'd start to, you know, have have game flowing, and you know the freezers would actually be full. You know, it wouldn't be like a tokenistic thing where you'd try and spread a, a deer out across a year like some delicacy. You know, I've shot five this year already. That's um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's almost too many. I've got to leave some for the rest of you guys. You need a tucker uh, box freezer. You got one of those at home, or? <laughs> oh no, I, I should do, mate. I'll, give me give me a lens, and I'll um, I'll I'll trade you a bit of venison if you like. That's all I've got to give. But um, no, hey, but you know, I mean, the thought, the point stands, and um, there's still a good many people out there who um, who can't get private property access because a lot of it's quite tightly held up, and um. You know, and that these are people that are being, you know, uh, shunted out of shooting and fishing, and I can't help but think that um, part of the broader plan is to, um, you know, destroy the destroy the business, the the emerging business of hunting and fishing, because we all know it's very popular. You know, uh, firearm ownership levels are back to what they were in 1996, of course, heavily regulated, and there's absolutely nothing uh, wrong with any of the owners that. Um, legitimately own firearms now you know as long as they're abiding by the law and every regulation keeps them to that so um but you know as soon as you take away their opportunities and they've spent thousands of dollars on gear and equipment with no opportunity to use it i can't help but think that this is a, a broader plan to um shut down our sport entirely which is why we should that's keep writing right. letters and keep united yeah that's another conversation <laughs> we know we know as we said we knew that because we spoke at the uh, anyone that doesn't know, we were, myself and Alex were at the uh, rally in Sydney, what, a couple of weeks back, wasn't it, I think? And uh, we were interviewing people, and Alex was on there. And we know Barry O'Farrell's become untrustworthy, you know, also with the ammunitions bill, but now with the suspension from the uh, Dunn report of the Game Council. But what does it mean to you? I guess let's, let's take out the uh, private land hunting at the moment, but what does it mean to you now that all the, you know, the hard works from people like yourself, uh, even me, there's other people that are licensed hunters. Well, you know, the, you know, the excellent work they've done. 
What does it mean now that you know it's now under a cloud with the game council abolishment? I mean, we know they're already talking about the you know the the, the risk assessment, which I don't know why it needs to be done. I think there was only one done a few years back, and the the, the record's impeccable. So, you know, I guess you know what, what does it mean to you? You know that it's now under a cloud with the you know, abolishment of the game council. Well, you know, obviously it's it's a, a subtle stain on all of us and a very unjust one. But I mean, when you talked about you know the hard work done. The hard work that I really think about in this situation is um, is the actual is the work of the game council staff themselves. Mm. You know, uh, no public service depart- department is it's never perfect. Never, never has been. Most of them are, you know, quite ineffective. Um, but <laughs> so sorry, I know you're in the public service space. So I, I should be careful. With that. Um, but the com- but you know, but there was a commitment of these employees and the extra hours that they were willing to to work. And both in the field, but also directly supporting hunters and above and beyond their salaries, it's not just admirable. It, it made them one of the most effective government bodies in operation, even though they were understaffed and they were under under resourced. And you know, the government decision to disband without any form of consultation is not just an insult to their hard work. I think it spits all over their hard work, and it, it riles me up. It does, mate. Uh, to, to finish off, man, I remember when we were at the rally, and this was actually you actually got me thinking. It's probably. I'm not going to sort of uh, make you give your head too big because you know that's it's uh, you know I, I don't want to do that. But I remember you were saying at the rally that you know the use of public land hunting and hunters being you know the only people in state forests that gave something back. I mean, can you el- elaborate on that for people that are you know are joining us and, and listening to the show about what what you meant by that and just explain that statement again and say that statement so people can understand where you're coming from. Well, look, I, I guess it was just a simple observation that of all the legitimate users of state forests, and that ranges from, again, hikers, mushroomers, bike and horse riders, four-wheel drivers, etc., etc., hunters were the only users that were actually needed. Forestry, like I said before, doesn't have any budget for any meaningful pest control. Yet we not only provided it for free, we paid money to do it in both our licenses, all of our gear, our fuel, and, you know, if again, if they were to pay professionals to take out the same number of feral animals that we, we have, they wouldn't have a business model anymore. They'd be broke. Yet the government treats us with this kind of contempt and disrespect. Well, you know, go figure. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I remember when you said that, I just thought that's powerful, you know, like true way, the only, the only people that gave back to state forests, you know, I thought that was powerful and that was, uh, you know, a good statement. I, I never thought about like that. I thought when I heard that, I went, yes, yes, <laughs> you know. I, well, let's, let's yeah. hope more hunters think that way because... Quite often, you know, a lot of hunters I meet, you know, they they talk about going on to, you know, maybe just say it's, it's, it's private property and they talk to the farmer and, and um, you know, the, 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 they seem to think, oh, we're so privileged and lucky to be on, on this land. And yes, they are. You know, private property is, is sacrosanct and, you know, it is a known as permission to give, you know, shooters a chance to enjoy that. But they're still doing the farmer a favour. They're, they're, they're removing his pests. And I think, you know, a lot of hunters need to see it as a both-way transaction. It's not just, oh, thank God we're so lucky to hunt. No, they're lucky to have you. They're very lucky to have you. They're fortunate to have you. And you need to have a sense of pride about that. Yeah. I know. I've said that a lot, a lot of times. I'm, I made quite a contentious YouTube channel about, you know, the 50-50. And, you know, I, mean, I know people that are... You know, and people, people disagree with me when I say this, but some, you know, a lot of people do actually. They say, "Well, I know people are turning up with chocolates and f- sometimes flowers for the wives, uh, uh, beer, you know, Easter chocolates." And I'm like, 
That's nice. I've tried some of those, yeah. Yeah, and hey, and hey, you know, it's I, don't get me wrong. If I buy a six pack of uh, a beer or something, you know, I'm happy to. You know, but but it's because I want to go and have a drink with the farmer. I'm not just dropping the beer off and going. And I said, well, it's my money, my fuel. You know, you know, I've travelled there, my guns, my licences, my everything, you know what I mean? So I think it's, yeah, you're right, it's, a, it's not an arrogance thing, it's just a 50-50 thing. And, you know, I appreciate them for, like, as probably you would too, allow them for hunting on your land, but also there of course. Is, a, is, a, is a return of, well, I'm actually removing feral pests, you know, and I know one property that I got access to, and I think we've removed at least, you know, 30 or 40 foxes. So let's say, you know, each one of those took one lamb, I mean, that's a significant uh, you know, impact on his land, you know, on the fact that the money he's going to make and he doesn't have to do it himself. So I think, as you said, it's a two-way street, man. I think that's really important for people to understand, not just, you know, try and buy presents and gifts. And I think that's way too over the top. How about, you know, talking to the guy and being friendly and, you know, have a beer with him then, no problem. But anyway, the rest of it's probably... But anyway, mate, to finish off, all right, mate, tell us, tell the people about your uh, YouTube channel where they can find it, they can see your mug on the uh, screen on YouTube. What's what's the uh, YouTube name again? I don't know it, but just share it with the guests, mate, so they can go and check it out. Oh, look, it's it's, it's Aussie Bush Harvest. Um, I, 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 I completely forgot that uh, I might get an opportunity to plug it, so I hadn't thought about that. But look, you know, I, it, it, it's just it's just simple, everyday Australian hunting. There's nothing fancy about it. It's just, uh, I, I, I started it because I really wanted to represent average Australian hunting for what it is. Um, and so that, you know, when people do look this kind of thing up on the internet, they have, you know, this is not just for new people getting into hunting, but just other people who think, oh, there are deer in Australia, what the hell, people hunt them. And then if they look that up, they might be able to find this and and um, and see what it is for the average Joe, not just for the the big trophy hunters who can afford to make DVDs, just what, you know, most of us do on the weekend. And, um, you know, I, I tell you what, there's a lot more to come, and I hope to bring you a... A lot more sandbit here too, so that's Aussie bush harvest. Look it up anytime. <laughs> and they, as I said, I can confess there's some good stuff on there. You got uh, Alex hunting deer. He's caping them out, taking the meat. Fantastic, and uh, he's quite excited when he gets uh, one deer in particular. But I'll let you guys figure it out. Alex Prof, thanks for coming on the show to share, you know, why you love hunting so much and what it means to you. Thanks for your time, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. Good on you, Jason. Thanks very much for having me. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.